today we're talking about identities because, well, we love talking about them and we know that they're so important. We're talking about how our identities intersect with our personal and professional lives, and today we're grateful that Heather Davidson has joined us. Heather shares about her experiences openly and honestly with a side of humor, all about her identity and how it's played a role in her life, talking about tokenism, representation, and more. We dive in with her and discuss how we can better mirror various identities in camping. Join us today for this one, folks. It's a good one. Welcome to Beyond Camp, a podcast for summer camp directors and leaders by Go Camp Pro. Beyond Camp explores the intersection of camp and the rest of our lives. Camp professionals know that all aspects of our lives affect our camp experience. And Beyond Camp is here to dive into the messy, brave, and joyous conversations that surround that fact. Check out our show notes at gocamp.pro slash beyondcamp. Beyond Camp is brought to you by the American Camp Association, Illinois. Sending thousands of children from economically disadvantaged households to camp and providing intentional services and programs to today's diverse camp professionals is at the core of the American Camp Association, Illinois' mission. Learn more about upcoming programs by visiting ACAIL.org. Welcome to Beyond Camp, where we explore the intersection of camp in our lives. For too long, camp professionals have referred to camp as being in a bubble, and we're here to burst that bubble today. We know that camp intersects with every aspect of our lives, and we're excited to delve into those. We are your hosts, Rachel Kent. My pronouns are she, her. And I'm Cassie Bloy. My pronouns are also she, her. And we're here to go beyond camp with you. As a reminder, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening today, and be sure to check out the show notes at gocamp.pro slash beyondcamp. Now, let's get started. Today, we're chatting with Heather Davidson, who's a recreation supervisor of gym club programming for the city of Hamilton. Heather's been working in recreation for over 20 years, and she has a strong belief that program environments can contribute to positive child development, and that staff have a responsibility to ensure programs meet the unique age and stage requirements for participants. Heather has a proven track record of innovative thinking, beyond-the-box problem-solving, and having an icebreaker or team builder ready at a moment's notice. Heather, welcome. We're so happy to have you. Hi, thanks, everybody. So, Heather, let's just dive in and let's get started. I know I read a bit of your bio, but in your words... Tell us about you. Who would you say you are? Uh, these days, who knows? Um, probably the best way that I would describe myself to somebody who's never met me before is I am very passionate about a lot of very nerdy things. Um, a strong believer that, you know, anybody can be a nerd about anything, but the things that I'm a nerd about are Excel, building tools for data analysis and understanding of data for people, but then also comic books, baseball, craft beer, and, you know, just general nerdery on the internet. That's quite a mix of things. Um, I love that. And I feel like I should hit you up for Excel data. Are you also a fan of Excel memes then? I feel like that's become oh, very. I follow, there's an Excel subreddit. If you didn't know that exists, that's a thing that exists. And I spend probably way too much time on it. Alrighty. And do you use Excel for your day-to-day life or just your professional life? I use Google Docs for my uh, day-to-day, but uh, my professional life definitely bleeds back and forth between the two with uh, just data management in general, which is something that if you asked my grade 12 math teacher would have been shocked to hear that that's something I ended up loving. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Those moments are always so fun when you're able to be like, yeah, they never would have expected me to do this. Like I could math, who knew? (laughs) Um, Heather, would you care to tell us about how you identify? What words would you use to identify yourself? See, this is tricky because I've always been somebody who said that I hate 
labels because the labels that people tend to put on themselves are the labels that are readily apparent. Um, full disclosure, Rachel see me in person, Cassie hasn't, and Rachel probably would be able to tell you that I have a giant yellow mobility device um, that looks like a huge trike, and it's hard to miss me. Um, most people, when they see it, don't even quite get that it's a mobility device. They think it's just some, I'm being lazy, and it's a cheap segue. It's not. Um, so, I think that people can label me as being disabled, people can label me as queer very easily, but I'd be hesitant to say that those are the two main traits of my personality. So when you were asking me to tell me a little bit about myself, that's more what I would say about myself. I'm a huge nerd um, before I'm queer, before I'm disabled, because those are the things that I've chosen um, to be, whereas these other things are just kind of what ended up happening along the way with me. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of where I'm at with it. It's great. Apparently, we're both really excited today again, everyone. <laughs> uh, no, like, that's fascinating because I think that there are certain folks who are drawn really strongly to certain labels, and I'm not a person who's ever loved labels. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just like, well, they're like, this is who I am. Um, and there's certain folks, and I think sometimes it's an age thing or a generation thing that certain mm -hmm. folks feel a really strong inclination towards labels um, more than others um, as a source of identity. Mm -hmm. Like, I think my passions more, I would say, drive how I would label and identify myself than the things that were just kind of like there. I didn't choose these things. Like, I would not choose them, but they weren't things that I got a choice in. I do have a choice to be a nerd, and I will continue to choose that. Fair enough. Do you feel a connection to the communities of the identities that people would be more likely to assign to you? Um, the queer community, yes and no. Um, I mean, I haven't, I don't. I'm a little old for going out to bars and things like that. And I do find that a lot of the time, that's what a lot of the community is. Um, and just not so much, but in terms of the disabled community, I mean, I'm fairly new to that. Um, having MS, I was only diagnosed in 2017 with some symptoms showing up three or four years before that. Um, so it's the only real connection that I have to that community is mostly online. Like I haven't, I don't, hang out with the disabled community here in town and I don't really know a lot of other people who are disabled so it's not the sort of thing that I'd, I'd have a lot of time to identify with I guess. Yeah that makes sense and I think it's mm -hmm. important to note that folks identify with communities more strongly than others. Um, mm -hmm. I think sometimes we've I've talked about this a little bit before but I think sometimes in the queer community there's like an uh, folks assume that you're going to identify like super strongly with something in a certain yeah. way. Um, and then if you don't fit all those check boxes, um, mm -hmm. you aren't necessarily part of that community. So I think it's uh, refreshing and a good reminder that folks identify in different ways with certain communities or not sure. at all, which is also great. For sure. And that's not to say that I'm judging anybody who does identify strongly with those communities, teach their own. I just, I have never really felt a strong affinity to say that's what defines me as a person. I really like that you're just, so true to your personal values in that as well. Like you're like, this, this is who I am. These are some other things, but these are more important to me. And that's so important to just note as well. But one of the other things we like to talk about when we talk about identity is privilege mm -hmm. and the privilege that we carry. How, and how does privilege come to play in your life? actually interesting. I think Rachel and I were having a conversation with some folks not too long ago about intersectionality and privilege and how um, as somebody who is Caucasian and definitely have white skin, um, even though I am part of some marginalized communities, I have benefited by my white skin. Um, specifically, one instance I can give you is although my road to diagnosis with MS was quite long and difficult and fraught with a lot of like 
quite frankly, awful doctors. Um, at the end of it, when I was able to get a diagnosis and move forward, what I had to sort of stop to realize is that I was able to advocate for myself because I'm white, because I'm educated, because mm-hmm. I'm relatively well off. And where I was going for my general practitioner at that time was in a mostly low-income newcomer area. And just looking around at the experience that I had and thinking, what if I didn't have these privileges? How much longer would it have taken for me to get some answers? How much longer would it have taken me to be taken seriously? And it, it just boggled my mind. And I think that was one of the first times that I really had to step back and say, wow, like as crappy of a situation as this is, I am so lucky that I have the privilege that I have and the ability that I have to navigate this. That's a great example of privilege. So thank you so much for sharing that because I think sometimes we struggle with the idea, um, especially around like white privilege, that it people are like, well, like you have white privilege, so that means you haven't struggled, but it doesn't mean that you haven't struggled. It just means that race hasn't been a part of one of the reasons why you struggled. Um, so like being educated, for example, doesn't mean that you haven't faced struggles. I mean, getting an education is hard, most mm-hmm. people would say, but it affords you privilege and ease of access to a lot of things that folks who aren't educated um, might struggle to achieve. Absolutely. Yeah, it, that was just like, it's kind of eye-opening as well of like, hey, this this is a thing and this happens. And I think to other people that I know who have been diagnosed with MS at a younger age as well, and, you know, haven't actually thought about the processes that they went through and all the steps they had to take and the trials and roadblocks that were potentially in their way as well. So thank you for sharing that. So thinking about privilege as well, again, Um, I want to say camping, but I think for you, a youth programming is probably a better terminology to use. How does your privilege exist in youth programming (laughs) and that world of recreation and all of that? (laughs) This is fantastic timing for a question like this, because one of the things that I'm working on right now is... um, Working for a municipality, we're very closely aligned, like um, the recreation department where I work is very closely aligned with public health, but also with community emergency services, which is fire, ambulance, police. Um, So with everything that's going on right now, um, we're trying to kind of navigate where we fit in in the, the continuum of like how we can reach out to our youth that aren't white, to our black youth, to our indigenous youth, to our youth that are maybe not typically the people that we'd see in recreation centers. Um, And then where kind of we fit in 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 the grand scheme of things. So the challenge that we're having is I, I sit on a kind of a smaller working group. We're all white and we're all over the age of 25. And some of us, most of us are over the age of 40. So it's really difficult sometimes to have that conversation of we shouldn't be the ones having this conversation, but then trying to figure out how you get in touch with the people that need to be having the conversation with you. How do we reach out to youth? And that's sort of something that we're struggling with right now. Before um, the pandemic began, we had all these very strong plans about um, kind of strategizing about building our youth complements at our different rec centers and giving them a youth voice and taking a youth centered approach to a lot of the program that we were going to offer. But with that, this kind of all falling apart, we didn't get to do that. So now that we're up against kind of a wall with some grants and with some programming ideas that need to happen, we don't have the input from youth. And I am making an argument with a lot of my team that we probably shouldn't move forward until we have that. So it's kind of the struggle of, do we offer something? And and maybe it's the right thing, but maybe it's insulting. Or do we offer nothing and try to find other ways to reach out to them? And that's kind of the struggle that we're having right now. Recreation 
um, doesn't need to be a white thing, but I think sometimes it just becomes a white thing because it's not ingrained in the culture of other cultures because we haven't done our due diligence in making ourselves a welcoming environment. That said, City of Hamilton, I think, is, is trying to make some great strides and some great steps, and we have done much better than some other places have with, with what we've been doing, but we're not there yet, and it's an ongoing process, but we're aware of it. I think that awareness is often the key piece that you're able mm-hmm. to talk about it. And when I say the key piece, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of work that has to happen to get past that point, but a lot of the time, I think organizations struggle to even get to the awareness point. Mm-hmm. When we talk about identity, you sort of categorize your identity into two parts, I'll say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. So you have the identities that you've chosen and the identities that people often give to you. Is that correct? Yeah, I'd say okay. that. Do you ever feel the need to hide parts of your identity, either in general or specifically in camping? Um, interesting question, because uh, when I saw kind of the, the stuff that you guys wanted to talk about today, I started having some conversations with some people that have been around in REC with me for a while. As you said, I've, I've been in REC for over 20 years, but I've held a wide variety of jobs. My very first job in recreation was something called a basket checker, which was the illustrious job. I know it sounds hilarious. Um, at some of our rec centers, and this still exists today, people, when they'd go swimming, would have to take off their clothes and put them in a basket, and the basket would have a number on it, and I would watch their dirty clothes while they swam. This meant that my first job was working in a women's change room. Um, there's all sorts of hilarious stories. I could probably do my own podcast just about those. Um, <laughs> there'd be a lot of privacy issues, but um, at that particular job, I didn't necessarily feel at that point in my life and I was probably about 16 or 17 that I could necessarily be out at work and be safe and that also you know other people may not feel safe around me um, this was around the time that you were starting to see more people being open about being trans and starting to ask questions about change rooms and I could see through the reaction and, and not so much that people were upset by it or angry by it but just the amount of wrestling that had to be done with trying to figure out what the right thing was to do that maybe me saying hey i'm gay and i'm in a change room with naked people was maybe not the best move for me um that said that was a long time ago i'm much older than 16 now and at this point in my career and in my life i don't feel like it really has any impact at all on me now i could be wrong Um, And I could be, again, this could be my privilege speaking, but I don't feel as though it has really anything to do with how I'm treated at work or how I am able to be at work. One thing that's positive about it, though, is that since I've, I've grown into a leadership capacity at work, I've had staff come up to me and say, thank you. Um, Thank you for not being somebody who's like a personal pride parade all the time, but for being quietly queer and okay with it and making it okay for other people. Um, Even just using pronouns and having that in my signature at work has made a difference to some people and having some staff, which I'm very well aware, I'm their first boss ever. So having somebody who's totally kind of, I'm not open about it, like we're not talking about my weekend plans or about what my partner and I have done together or anything like that, but just being like, this is who I am and this is not a big deal, um, has made a big difference to them. And that's something that I, I feel a little bit of responsibility for, um, but it's not something that I'm going out of my way to do. I, I mean, like I said earlier, it, just because that's a part of me doesn't mean it's all that there is about me, but I think showing that it's a part of me makes it a little bit easier for people to be okay with themselves as well. Yeah, that's that's fair. That makes a lot of sense. And I think I've had similar um, situations. I remember once I had a new staff member come to camp and um, I think I had like phone interviewed them so they'd never seen me before, be 
they'd never seen me before. And they were like last minute hires. So they came to camp and they were like, wow, I was so relieved when I saw the camp director had short hair. And like, I knew that I'd probably be more welcome here. And I was like, oh, that's really neat. And I'm like, well, this is just me like doing my thing. Um, I hate having wet hair after I swim. So short hair is really um, a lot more ideal for that. It dries in like, I just got a haircut today and like, four minutes cassie you have long hair (laughs) it's a dream um and you sort of segued into my my next question i was i was wondering if you like how you go about speaking um about different parts of your identity with people because i know for me i I identify as queer um not big on the labels but i often feel like it's important that if I'm going to talk about my partner that I'm like open, especially like around kids or around my staff that about the fact that she's female. Like I try and be very, very transparent about that. Do you speak about those parts of your identity that are being placed on you? Well, out, like on purpose or does it just happen? It's so I'm in a weird situation that you can maybe slightly um, relate to Rachel, I think. Um, and that my partner and I met at work um, and that we both have a similar role at work so if you know one of us you probably know both of us although something strange that has happened in the last few years um and i don't think the staff is going to mind me telling this story because it's pretty funny um she and another staff that i was overseeing were sitting in a room attached to the room i was in and they were just talking about their lives and things like that and the one staff leaned over and she's like heather um would you ever do that and i was like i didn't i wasn't listening to what you guys are saying what would i ever do she's like would you ever buy flowers for your boyfriend and i laughed i was like well no and the staff she was sitting with knew who my partner was and she started laughing and she goes well why wouldn't you and i'm like well because i don't have a boyfriend she's like but you could one day i'm like probably not though um it's not probably not in my future and as we got to talking um i realized that my partner was actually her supervisor the rest of the year and she had no idea we were dating um it's happened a few times where people have no idea because we're very careful to make sure that we're professional at work Hmm. um like when we have a large team meeting we don't sit together or anything like that but i don't keep it a secret when i'm talking to staff about about being queer or having a partner that's female um if it comes up, it comes up. And I'm, and I know rumor mills with staff, things go around, but I've never had an issue with it, hiding it or, or not sharing it. And again, with the disability thing, pretty much the only time you can't tell, like right now I'm sitting, you can't really tell. But if you saw me walk, if you saw me try to walk without a cane, you'd see me fall pretty quick. If you saw me walk with a cane, it would be pretty obvious. And usually I'm on my giant yellow linker. So it, it would be hard to not notice that I have a disability. I think those two things And just the fact that, I don't know, Cassie, when we first started talking and Rachel pointed out that we hadn't met each other, I have a tendency to just act like I've known somebody already (laughs) and start a conversation as though we're already in the middle of it. That coupled with me not hiding or self-censoring myself, I think makes it a lot easier just to be me and encourage my staff to be them. I really like where you're taking this and you're just providing us with such easy segues into our next questions here. (laughs) It's amazing. Um, so you're talking a little about like about sharing your identity in ways that you're comfortable with with your staff and ways that make sense. Do you feel that that's a responsibility or any pressure as a leader and boss manager to discuss parts of your identity with people? I think I, I'm never going to force something like I'm not yeah. going to run a session on like how you should be nice to your queer supervisors at training or anything like that. And I'm never going to like, I, we have an inclusion team at where I work. So that's their stuff. That's not even my stuff. Um, 
but I think there's opportunity for things to come organically um, where you're having conversations with staff or they're just asking you questions. I've had staff flat out approach me and say, can I talk to you for a minute? And they want to talk about how how to be queer and, and okay with it or something that they're struggling with. And I mean, I, I look at that as, as a privilege that they trusted me enough to have that conversation, but it's not mm-hmm. something that I'm going to search out or advertise that I want to do. Um, I've had staff come up to me and say that they have family members with disabilities and, and they wanted to just ask me some questions that they maybe weren't comfortable asking their family members, which is a whole other ball of wax to consider that like not everybody with a disability and not everybody who's queer is going to have the same life experiences by any means. But I think that, you know, things come up like we all know from working at camp the conversations that you have rarely end up in the place where you thought they were going to when you started them and that's a lot of what ends up happening is like just through the course of a conversation or through the course of just getting to know each other with staff this happens and it's organic and I love it that's so amazing just I I appreciate organic conversations as well they're so much more meaningful intentional purposeful as well do you I lost my train of thought a little bit, but do you ever find that it's kind of outside of your zone and you have to set a boundary with those staff and kind of be like, yeah, no, this is, this is my line. Oh, for sure. And I mean, that, that though, I think happens even outside of, of these two particular labels. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm, 42 and and they're like I have some staff that are as young as 14 so um there's definite boundaries there like just between there's like two levels of staff in between me and them like it's not something that's going to happen all the time but um definitely when that happens I don't have a problem saying you know this this isn't maybe something for me to talk to you about but I can give you some resources or connect you with some people to talk about that as well I mean all things considered, I have the benefit of working for a giant machine that is a municipality and a corporation. So it's very easy for me to be like, oh, here's this resource and here's that resource and here's this person, here's that person. At the end of the day, um, I do see myself as a supervisor and a leader, but I'm also a huge connector socially and, you know, at work, um, connecting people with other people and connecting them with resources that they may not have known existed. And that's where that comes in handy is where I have to draw those boundaries and it's far outside my expertise. I don't know everything as much as everybody around me th- seems to think I do. I That's an incredible line. Um, I'm a connector. And I think as, as yeah. camp folks, as rec folks, that's um, an important thing to remember that we often have resources that other people aren't aware of um, and that we can use our positions of privilege uh, to provide those resources. ACA Illinois has deep roots in using CAMP as a way to create social change in local, state, and national communities, including creating equitable access for all children to attend CAMP. They're committed to creating social change that extends beyond the borders of CAMP. Just looking at their calendar of professional development activities shows this commitment. They're running workshops on understanding, identifying, and stopping microaggressions, as well as CAMP book clubs, which provide safe spaces for CAMP pros to reflect and share perspectives on different issues. Additionally, the ACA Illinois spends many hours fundraising and advocating for all children to gain access to camp across the state. They have campership funds to support these efforts and 100% of the funds raised go directly to sending kids to camp. You can donate today at acail.org donate to be one of the many people that play a role in a child's life. ACA Illinois also provides great resources for families, campers, and camp pros alike on their website. They recognize that camp doesn't just stop once you leave the property and are committed to supporting their communities through all of life's challenges. Join our community today at ACAIL.org. So we talk a lot about identities at camp, 
outside of camp. That's what Beyond Camp is all about. Um, and there's a lot of nuance to identities. And you and I have a, a shared identity, I suppose, that the world has given us of, of being queer. Um, I'm sure that we both relate and interact with it differently and it plays different roles in our lives. Um, I came out when I was a little bit older and I had the experience of coming out personally to my friends and family and then the experience of coming out professionally where suddenly it was almost an important part of who I was in the camping world. And I don't say that um, in a negative way, but it was an interesting thing for me to put it in my bio that I had a partner and like specify that my partner was female. And I didn't feel no, like nobody asked me to do that. Nobody was like, Hey, Rachel, make sure like you put your gay in your profile, like in your biography here. But I felt like it was important because I felt like I needed to show other young queer folks that this, that like representation mattered, that I was there. Um, and I felt like it was important to show that side of myself to other people, which was something that I had never considered before in my career that I, I would have to like professionally come out. Um, and I don't know if you've ever had like a similar kind of experience at all with that. Um, yeah, I'd say the idea of being a professional queer person is a, is definitely a role that I, well, definitely had to come out at work in a very open way. Um, I don't think I'd ever been hiding it. I was very much of the mind that like, I'm not saying I'm not gay. If somebody asks me, I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to lie about who I'm dating or who, or who I'm interested in. Um, but I'm not going to be like, I'm gay. Um, when I walk into the office and I didn't have rainbow flags at my cubicle or anything like that, um, I offside hate pride parades for a variety of reasons. It's just not my thing. So I think a lot of like the other queer people around where I worked, like there was, you knew that they were there, but we didn't really talk about it. Um, and then again, going back to the, the, my partner that I'm with now, um, we met at work and was one of those relationships where at one point I was her supervisor um, and I did need to disclose it. I felt very much like the love contract on the office where I had to disclose that I was in a relationship with somebody and we got a talking to. And I think some people said things at the time that they maybe if they had had a chance to do it over, wouldn't have said quite the way they said it. Um, and that when we had the talk, they were like, yeah, that's fine. Congratulations. We're happy for you guys. What a great pairing. You guys would be a great couple. Like you're perfect for each other. They said all these fantastic things. Um, and then they said things like, and now obviously like, you know, as long as nobody else feels uncomfortable, you're okay. Mm. My question to that would have been like, but what if we feel uncomfortable? And that's more, I think a lot of what we do is to make sure that other people aren't uncomfortable that other people don't think that we have like a secret language of, a, of how we do work together or how we do things like that. So I don't think either one of us are the type of people that are very like overtly gay at work, but because of our relationship, everybody just knows that we are and knows that we're together. And so it's almost like that's part of why I don't make a big deal about it because I don't want to accentuate the fact that like, yeah, I come home and talk to my partner. Many straight couples that work together, like there's so many straight couples at work, um, they, they would do the same thing. But I just feel with ours, there's that little extra layer of discomfort that people have um, about it. And so we try not to play that up. That said, like at the same time, I do think it's great that like people can see that you can be queer at work and be respected and be a leader and be somebody who's approachable. I think between the two of us, um, we're seen as some of the more approachable people in leadership positions. So I think that's part of it is that we're not hiding things. We're not, and not that anybody else is hiding things, but just if we've been honest about this, then we're going to be honest about anything I think is, is the thought. And that mm -hmm. I think that's important. Yeah. Um, I heard you mention that 
you know, the question that you didn't get asked is like, but what if we feel uncomfortable? Yeah. And can you like, how does, how does that resonate in you? How does that make you feel? Is, is, if you're allowed to say, I don't want to answer. No, I, I can absolutely answer that because I said it. I wouldn't have said it if I didn't want to open that up for discussion. Um, again, just to reiterate, I don't think that a lot of the time anybody's saying anything with a malicious intent. And I think in this case, it wasn't a malicious intent. I think it was almost like a joking aside. And I 100% get it. I am the queen of saying of my mouth opens and I don't know what's going to come out of it. Um, I'm just as surprised as you are. So I get that. And I get that it is an uncomfortable conversation. Um, Going back to just the other flip side of my big identity and the Venn diagrams of my life. um, With MS, my doctor, when she diagnosed me, my nurse practitioner, um, she was like, do you need Kleenex? Do you need something else? And I was like, no, no, I'm fine. And she was was more upset than I was. And my next appointment back, I said, can I ask you a question? Am I the first person that you had to give a diagnosis like that to? And she said, yeah. And I said, okay, can I give you some pointers? Because she was so concerned about me being upset. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. For three years now, I have had no idea what's going wrong with me. I have no idea what's going on with my body. You just gave me an answer. And that gives me a plan. Same thing with that work. When I told people that, if they weren't expecting it, and again, your gaydar is very broken if you weren't expecting this, but okay. Um, you know, they weren't expecting it. And they probably practice what they're going to say. They're probably trying to make me feel relaxed. I don't think there was malicious intent. I know having grown up queer in a less accepting time, that you can tell when people have malicious intent. I know when somebody's screaming dyke at me across a gymnasium in high school, that that's not because they think I'm cool and they want to be my friend. But I think in this instance, like I can understand that that wasn't an intentional um, mean thing to say or, or not caring thing to say. Um, they didn't say it again, which to me says they, they knew that. And, and it wasn't actually an issue. I don't think we were ever making anybody else feel uncomfortable, but when I was made to feel uncomfortable, I did feel as though it was okay for me to talk about it. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, just going to kind of maybe take like a left-hand turn, um, just so that everyone's aware. Um, talking about tokenization, do you ever feel like you were tokenized in the recreation industry? Um, or it's camping? interesting. <laughs> no, you know what? It's interesting because... Um, there's a sense that I think a lot of people have the imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. that I oftentimes feel that. And I, I, I've told Rachel this before in the camping world, like camp for me, I love it. I love camp. I love the idea of camp. I love the feeling of camp, but camp for me is literally a side of my desk job for a large part of the year. doesn't mean that I'm not thinking about camp. I'm doing it. Um, So when I'm involved in in camp in a different, in a, a more, a bigger way outside of my municipal job. Um, sometimes I do feel a bit of imposter syndrome and that's sort of the other thing that's nagging at me. I'm like, do they just have me here because I'm checking off a box because I'm gay? Do they just have me here checking off a box because I'm disabled? Because quite frankly, the disabled box is still a relatively new one. And I think I'm more annoying about that one than anything because I'm like, did you know that the grading of this ramp is not up to code? I'm like, did I care about that three years ago? Honestly, no, I didn't. And that's, that's me and my, my privilege as somebody who was mm-hmm. relatively able-bodied back then. So I, I try very hard to do an honest assessment of myself and, and not assume that I'm being tokenized, but I definitely can see how I, I've had people make a comment that like, well, that checks a lot of boxes. And I'm like, but which boxes are you checking there? Cause I don't think it's my comic book baseball loving box. 
but maybe it is. And why is that important? So I I think that tokenization does happen. Absolutely. And I think that that's one of the pitfalls that I think a lot of organizations are going to fall into here when we move forward. Like we're all becoming a little bit more woke and we're all understanding that we can't Mm. just look out on a sea of white faces, but I don't think that necessarily the answer to that is being like, well, we need to have a, a black person or an indigenous person sitting around each table. And I don't care who it is. It just needs to be somebody. I think we need to be a little bit more thoughtful in that and be careful that we don't fall into tokenization. I feel like that was a really roundabout answer to your question and maybe verging on a non-answer, but that's... You're verging on the next answer. It's okay. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, so solving that issue of tokenism and representation, that's where you were headed there of like, Mm. is it a person or is it making sure that all voices are heard? And I think we talked about this a little bit earlier as well when we were talking about reaching out to youth of different communities and cultures and the idea of recreation being part of that culture. Mm -hmm. For sure. Like um, when we interview, so for our summer um, positions, we hire for camp and then we hire for something called Soupy and Soupy is my baby right now. I'm going to give you a little pitch for a second. It's a hundred, it would have been 111 years old this year. This is the first year we've canceled it in 111 years. It's a free drop-in program that takes place at over 90 parks across the entire city. Um, it's, it's fantastic. And it's, if we had tried to start it now, I'm pretty sure risk management and legal would tell us no way. Um, but because we started 111 years ago, people didn't really care as much about child safety back then. So it's just, it's not that it's not a safe program, but if I said to you right now, I'm going to put a 14-year-old on a park with a box of equipment and say, go. Um, You probably wouldn't be cool with that. Um, But it is what it is. So we hire 200 staff every year um, and have gotten in previous years, I think the highest amount of applicants we got was something around 1,500, 2,000. Um, So the interview process that we have to go through and and understanding as a municipality, we have a lot of city staff who have kids that apply for these jobs, counselors whose kids apply for these jobs. Mm -hmm. We have to be really sure that we've taken out a sense of bias. So we have a very well honed way of doing that. We strip out your name. Um, You're still sitting in front of somebody, but even this year we were talking about stripping that out. But I think when you let somebody's qualifications stand on their own, and that means like taking out even their name, because there can be so many cultural associations with a name. I always joke yeah. the kids that we're interviewing saying, well, you never know if your name's Jennifer, or maybe Jennifer is the person that broke your interviewer's heart 20 years ago, and they've never forgiven it, and they hate everybody named Jennifer. But at the same time, like I'm sure you've read Freakonomics and, and all these other um, articles that are showing up now about how um, implicit bias there is, and even just names mm-hmm. and Skin color, obviously, is something that's been coming up a lot, but also disabilities and all sorts of things. And I think the more that you can just let somebody's accomplishments stand on their own, um, I, I think that that's maybe the way to go. And it might take a little bit more work and it might take a lot more effort. But at the end of the day, if you're getting representative voices, that's what you need to go for. I can't just say, I want, I just want a black voice here. I think you need to be more specific about the black voice that you're looking for to fill that hole. And I think that the people sitting around the table will be more thankful that you've put a little bit more thought into what you're doing. I don't want to just be sitting somewhere because I check off two boxes at once. That's not fair to me. And that's not fair to the other people around the table. Exactly. Like people want to be seen for, for all parts of who they are. And for a lot of us that include certain identities that are marginalized, but it also includes um, our skill set and our life experiences. I like to say, you know, I'm not just gay. Like I'm happy to have that be something that's known because I think representation matters. Like, um, I have not always seen myself represented in folks uh, older than me in leadership positions or management. So I think that that matters, but I also want to look up to that manager and be like, wow, they're a fantastic manager. They're like organized, they're supportive. Oh, and it's super cool that they're queer and they're out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like I think I mentioned it earlier saying the Venn diagram that I am, but I think we're all a Venn diagram, right? And some of the, the circles in that Venn diagram, people can see from a million miles away. Like you can see my yellow bike from a million miles away. Rachel, you can see your short hair from a million miles away. If I stand sideways, you'll probably be able to tell I'm female. But like there's other parts of my Venn diagram that you can't see until you get to know me, until you get to like talk to me and things like that. And those, I think a lot of the time are the more important parts when we're talking about coming to consensus as a group, when we're coming to innovation as a group, when we're trying to solve problems as a group. It's not my queer self or my disabled self that's going to be solving your problems, most likely. I mean, if you want to know about my linker, sure, I can tell you about that. But I think more what's going to be my voice at a table is how I approach a problem, how I solve a problem, how I bring people together to solve a problem. And that has nothing to do with those larger parts of my identity. And that is why we're here to talk about Beyond Camp, because all these parts of our identities intersect with each other. And all those different parts of ourselves give us a different lens into the world. And that's what helps us solve problems, create change, etc. Because we're able to see things with those different lived experiences that we wouldn't have if we didn't have those other identities, um, whether chosen identities or the ones that are assigned to us. So... We've been, this has been such a great conversation um, and we're really moving along here. So as we head towards wrapping up, do you feel like you see yourself represented in the camping world? It's mm, a loaded question, Rachel. Um, <laughs> I am and have often seen myself as there may be me's out there, but they maybe weren't in a place where they could be comfortable being themselves. Mm-hmm. And so where I don't see myself I strive to be the person for other people to see. Like, Rachel, what you're saying, where you didn't see yourself in a leadership role, I I didn't see me reflected back at me, and I think that's super important. Um, I had a a conversation with a staff member, I think last summer, um, he's black, and we were talking about when you look at our department, for one reason or another, there's a lot of white faces and not a lot of black faces, and we were talking about the responsibility that we feel for being somebody who you can't, like, everybody knows I'm queer, everybody knows I'm disabled, everybody knows he's black. So we have a certain amount of responsibility that we feel to the people that look like us that are looking up to us. And there feels like there is a little bit more responsibility and a little bit more of a microscope. But um, I hope that I'm doing right by those people and I hope I'm inspiring them to just be themselves. And you don't need to be exceptional. You just need to be comfortable being yourself and do the best that you can be. And that in and of itself is exceptional for you. Yes. I'm at a little bit of a loss for words because you just said so much that was so powerful. And the part that really is sticking with me in this moment is I didn't see me reflected back at me. And I think that's so important as we work to change that so that people can see themselves reflected back, especially in the camping world. So how can we in camping as a whole be more welcoming of your identities or identities that may be similar to yours? For sure. And I think that that's a larger discussion that's happening at a lot of camps. It's happening Mm -hmm. online right now. I know on that Slack group, there's a lot of conversation about, you know, how do we do this and how do we do it responsibly? And I don't think that there's one right answer. I think what we need to do is identify those people that are already kind of there on the fringes or already starting to maybe show an interest and say, what can we do to make you see the you up above you and it's it's gonna take time like it's not the sort of thing that we can snap our fingers and be like okay everything's equal everybody's great this mm-hmm. is a huge task ahead of us um i think somebody we were talking the other day about how it's it's a giant ship and we're doing a lot of work under the water right now but to move that entire ship is going to take years and a lot of effort from a lot of people and and supporting the people that maybe 
need the support to get to that place. You know, it's, we can't solve the world's problems, but I think you're right, Rachel. The first thing we need to do is identify that they're a problem and start to try to find a solution. And that's great that you guys seem to be doing a lot of that with this. Well, and when I think of like welcoming of identities, and there's been talk around on the internet recently about Maslow's hierarchy of needs as we talk about like the pandemic and things like that. And I think there's like basic things that need to be welcomed, right? Like if you um, have uh, mobility challenges, like there needs to be like a ramp to get into the building because you need to like actually get into the building. Um, if you need a gender neutral bathroom, like that needs to be there because those are like the basic physical needs that you have. But it goes so much more beyond that and i like what you said about like turning to people and being like hey how can we help you get here especially when we're asking people to step into leadership positions mm-hmm. that it's more than just changing things in a building and someone's always gonna have to be that first person right and and that's where i feel like sometimes i've had to be that person in one sense and i don't think that there's anything special about me and i don't think there's anything exceptional about me but i think that the thing that's different between me and somebody else is i've looked around and been like okay well no one else is doing it i guess i have to and it's not a great feeling all the time and i i think it's very easy for us to fall into like the jackie robinson trap of we're like well jackie robinson was the first black baseball player that was good enough to be in the major leagues not true um again nerd about baseball jackie robinson was a great baseball player and that's not to take anything away from him jackie robinson was there at the right time and the white people in charge decided that that was the right time to have a black baseball player so not to take anything away from him but we have to be really careful as well going back to the conversation about tokenism that we aren't gatekeeping things in in our positions of privilege and and waiting for the right time to come around and the right person Uh, rosa parks wasn't the first person to not want to move on a bus but she was the Mm -hmm. most palatable person to not want to move on a bus so let's make sure that we're being open and welcoming and just because somebody comes to us that doesn't look like or sound like the the perfect ideal of what we wanted that person to look like that we're still willing to let them in and and let them talk and listen to them thank you so much for sharing all of that with us today heather it like there's just so many pieces that I just, I want to keep going, but <laughs> we also like to honor people's time as well and make sure that they're able to leave with questions and thoughts. And I think you've done just that. You've got us thinking, you've got us processing and that's where we want people to be. We want them to be aware and we want them to be thinking of these problems and these issues that they might not even realize exist. So before we wrap up today, we would like, we like to talk about self-care. Self-care is critical to personal wellness, both in the good times and the not so great of times. It's also something that a lot of people struggle with, especially camp professionals. Uh, But we like to think about it as recharging our batteries or helping us feel inspired, whether that's a hobby or uh, a regular routine. Heather, do you have something that you do in your life that kind of recharges you or inspires you? Sure, absolutely. Um, If anybody follows me on social media, you know that one of my big loves is craft beer. And surprisingly, and I think a lot of people are shocked to hear this, I'm not like, I like drinking it, but I don't like it as much as people think I do. My real passion is making it. Um, And I think there was a certain point in drinking craft beer that I was like, I think I could do this. And I did a little interneting. I said nerdery and I I figured out how to do it and we've been brewing beer now for the better part of three years and we've just started kind of sending it out to people and I think a lot of people when your friends like oh I've made some beer try it everybody's like oh yeah it's good and secretly they're like spitting it out and this is gross 
and I agree that the first few times we made it was not good, but I think we're getting better at it. And it's really fun to kind of be like, I want to have a beer that tastes like a cream skull. How do we do that? And we did it. And it's, it was super fun. We're actually going to be brewing um, Black is Beautiful, which is the a brewery in America um, came out with something to support BIPOC organizations across North America. We're going to be doing a homebrew version um, and reaching out to the people that are in our Mason Jar Club to see uh, what charity locally they want us to donate to and take donations for it. So I'm really stoked about that. Right now, the plan is make it taste like a Black Forest cake. So if you guys are around and you want to try that in about a month and a half, let me know and I'll hook you up. That's super cool. I like that. Uh, And you had one that had a great name for the pandemic. Oh, the extra socially distant ESB. So it's the ESD, ESB. Yeah. You have to be four and a half kegs apart. (laughs) That's amazing. I really like how you've kind of taken something that's a hobby and it sounds like it's turned into more of a passion and creative outlet for you. Well, I'm almost into my retirement years, so I got to plan ahead. (laughs) So we want to take a moment to thank you, Heather, for taking the time and making the time to be here with us today and to have these open and honest conversations with us. And we want to thank all of our listeners for joining us beyond camp. We hope that you were able to connect and reflect as we journey beyond the property lines and bring camp with us wherever we may go. And we also want you to be able to reach out and connect with us. Heather, how can our listeners connect with you? Uh, You can always reach me on email at heather.davidson at hamilton.ca. And you can find me on LinkedIn as well. I think I'm under HK Davidson there because I'm still trying to hide from kids that are trying to find me on the (laughs) internet. Don't we all? Uh, Rachel? Uh, Folks are always welcome to email me at kentr at girlguides.ca. Wonderful. And you can find myself, Cassie, at cassie.bloy at stefanricard.ca. We want to remind everyone to check out our show notes at gocamp.pro slash beyondcamp. And a last round of thank yous again to Heather for making the time to be here with us, to the team at GoCamp Pro for holding space for these conversations, uh, to ACLA Illinois for their sponsorship and support of this idea, to Matt, our producer, for making sure we still continue to sound phenomenal every week. And for you, to you, our listeners, for making the time to listen. Your dedication keeps us moving forward. Beyond Camp is part of the Go Camp Pro podcast network. Check out all other podcasts at gocamp.pro slash podcasts. Go well and safely, friends. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Beyond Camp is a part of Go Camp Pro and the Go Camp Pro Podcast Network. Find a podcast for camp professionals of every age and stage at gocamp.pro slash podcast. Thanks for listening, friends. Hey, Camp Pros. We love that our industry is built on sharing. In order to foster that spirit, if you've gotten even one good idea from a Go Camp Pro podcast, masterclass, from the Summer Camp Professionals Group, a conference, or wherever else, we ask that you give credit where credit is due. That way, it'll encourage camp pros to keep freely sharing their ideas and make the camp industry as a whole better.